following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Welcome back, everybody, to another exciting episode of Stories from the Sidelines. I'm Coach Larry. Matt couldn't be here today. No guest. So another episode where it's just me. We're going to keep this one short and sweet today. Um, Interesting because this is, I'm not going to lie, this is like my least favorite time of the year for sports favorite time of the year as a teacher because we're on summer vacation and we're going to come in hot with this as a teacher on summer vacation love the fact that we're on summer vacation still early enough in summer vacation to really enjoy it have some fun uh, even though I am doing summer school I'm doing summer school adapted phys ed over at Williamsville when having a ton of fun doing that over the last couple of days it started but sports wise it's kind of a slow Season, not kind of. It's a slow season. Unless you're a baseball fan, which if you're a baseball fan, it's, I mean, it's all baseball. If you're a fanatic, I'm not much of a baseball fan. I'll maybe watch a World Series game or part of a World Series game once a year. Maybe I'll get two in. The last time I went to a baseball game, I think was a Bisons game. I don't know when I was maybe 14, 15, 16, you know, maybe my dad and I went to a game or two there. But after that, it was just, I'm not a baseball fan at all. Um, Never been to a pro game. I just, I don't know. I just find it, I just really find it boring. But that's besides, that's besides the point. I'll tell some of my friends who are big time baseball fanatics, oh, you don't know the ins and out of the games. You know, like, it's, it's just boring. It's a lot of standing around. It's a lot. You swing, you hit the ball, you run. It's just a lot of downtime. I do like the fact, though, um, that they are lowering the games or shortening the games with the pitch count, which, again, I've never I haven't watched a game with the pitch count, but it seems to be at least making the games under three hours, under four hours. So it seems to be doing uh, the good things for the game and making it a little bit more easy to watch. But then you get the people, well, that's if you're if you want the game to go by faster, you shouldn't be watching baseball because that's part of it going to the if you go to the the uh, field to watch a baseball game, you go to the stadium, expect to be there for four or five hours. That's part of the whole experience. I, I don't have that time, even a even a Bills game. I'm not a huge tailgater anymore when I go to Bills games. We, my wife and I, we've gone to um, a bunch of games the last two or three seasons. It's been if the game, you know, if it's a one o'clock game, we'll get there. I don't know, eleven thirty, twelve. Um, we'll find parking. We usually park a little further out. Walk down. By the time we walk there, we uh, have our tickets. We go right to our seats, get our food, get our nachos. I love nachos. I love stadium nachos. By far the best food. I know hot dog. No, stadium nachos. I don't care where. It's just awesome. I love nachos. And then 
by that time, you know, kickoff is ready to go. We're in our seats maybe 20 minutes before the game, a little pregame stuff, but we're we're pretty much in our seats and ready to go. And then after that, you go home. And we're usually there. We get there around, again, for parking, get there around 11, 12, and we're out by what, 4 o'clock? We park far enough away where traffic isn't usually too bad. By the time we get to our car, uh, maybe a 20-minute walk to our car, 15, 20-minute walk to our car, isn't all that bad. Cold games, I'm back at home. Like, I'm home on my couch for cold games. I did one cold game. It was the Jets game uh, two years ago when the season finale. Oh, my God. I That was my first cold game since, I don't know, maybe when I was in college. I can't do a cold game anymore. I mean, it was a fun game. It was, Buffalo was in control pretty much the entire game. But towards the end, I mean, I my back started hurting. And my back hurt the next day because it was just so outright cold. So no more cold games for me. But yeah, not a big baseball fan. Um, but it's a downtime for sports right now. I mean, the NBA draft already happened. The NHL draft already happened. Both um, seasons are wrapped up. Uh, free agency. Okay, the big ticket items are already gone for both te- or both leagues. Football is basically in a six-week hiatus. So there's nothing really going on um, for a while until uh, training camp starts. I think we're at like 62 days left until the regular season, 61, 62, so about two months, a little give or take, uh, until opening day against the Jets. The Jets are going to get destroyed. Uh, the Jets are going to get rocked. It's going to be hilarious. Um, but, yeah, so there's not not all that much time, like all that much sports option, all that many sports options right now. So a little bit of a downward turn. I, this year, again, cannot wait till the start of the Bills season. Cannot wait till the start of the Sabres season. I really think, I know I said it last year around this time that I thought the Sabres would be either in that 7, 8, 9, 10 range, um, either making the playoffs or just missing the playoffs. They just missed the playoffs. Couldn't really miss it by any Closer of a margin, two more points. One more win would have gotten them in. So just missed the playoffs. Next year, I think they're battling for, not only are they going to make the playoffs, I think they're battling. They're going to be securely in, and maybe that fourth, fifth, sixth seed, somewhere around there. I know the uh, you've got the top three division winners, or sorry, top three division placers in each uh, in the Atlantic, in the Metro. I wouldn't be surprised if Buffalo's in one of those three spots to get him in one of the top six positions, but definitely going to hit that last wild card. I don't see why not, unless they get devastated with injuries, knock on wood, unless they get just the bottom falls out of the barrel. I think they are in the playoffs. I can see... Um, I'm not going to say Boston because I, every year, every year we get the spiel that Boston's too old. Boston needs to retool. Boston's too old. Boston needs to retool, needs to retool. Last year, they destroyed the entire league, got beat in the first round by Florida, but they destroyed the entire league. 
So maybe they were a little too old for the playoffs. Maybe they ran out of gas simply at the end there. But I, they're still – they've got enough in the take to make the playoffs. Um, I could see Tampa maybe getting out. The Islanders for sure. Um, Florida, I'm not sure. I don't know if Florida was just a fluke or not. I don't know if Florida was – hey, they caught fire the last month of the season and got in or if they were just – you know, needed to Kachuk needed to get his legs under him. Everybody, the, they they had a couple players come in, got rolled a hot goaltender um, for sure into the playoffs. But we'll find out. But either way, I see Buffalo for sure into the playoffs, and that's going to be fun. It's going to be fun having um, coming off of hopefully a Bills Super Bowl win and a Buffalo Sabers playoff appearance again I'm not going to sit there and say Buffalo is a Stanley Cup contender I still think they're a year or two away but I think this team could go to the playoffs and win an opening round I don't think that's out of the question after that who knows once you get in who knows um but that's it's going to be fun it's going to be a fun season, and it's just going to make that winter part of the year just go by so much quicker. Um, again, hopefully Buffalo from the Bills from September to what, January, usually the Super Bowl, January, February, just dominate, win a Super Bowl, and then hopefully that Sabres uh, season will be a lot of fun to carry us from February to the rest of the school year. Who knows? Let's get some June hockey. When's the last time we had some June hockey? Let's get some June hockey in here in Buffalo. So looking forward to that. Other Bills news. Can we just, can we stop with the Steph Diggs stuff? Like it is, come on. I think the Bills, uh, Stephen A. Smith, I was listening to his um, rant a little bit about it or talking about it on SportsCenter uh couple days ago last week where and I agree with them 100% I think it is both the Bills and Diggs fault if whatever reason whatever Diggs said whether he went to management and complained he wasn't being used enough he was mad how he was used or game plan for the Bengals game whether he wanted there's a rumor out there that he was pissed because he thought his contract money was going to Hopkins which I think was ridiculous Whatever the case is, he was worried about Josh Allen's focus. There's so many rumors out there. Diggs could have handled and should have handled it much better. Don't negotiate. Don't whatever. Don't bring locker room drama outside the organization. Or he could have just came in, read the right act right off the first day of minicamp, mandatory minicamp. Hey, everything's good, yada, yada, and that's it. And the way the Bills organization has handled it or not handled it, or ch- it, it was a train wreck. The first day that he was, the first day of mandatory minicamp, he was in the building. He was not in the building. He, it, McDermott is concerned. He's not concerned. He saw him earlier and he sent him home. But no, he didn't send him home. Diggs stormed out. Just come on. All he had to say at that press conference was, yep, I talked to Steph earlier today. He got his physical taken care of. We discussed a few things. He had a few. Per- he had a personal issue to take care of. 
he went home, he'll be here tomorrow, which he was, didn't participate in any of the team drills there. Whatever. It's no big deal. This should have been squashed. Instead, we could potentially be hearing about this. It's going to be a topic all training camp. All eyes are going to be on Diggs. Is he happy? Is he not happy? Is he looking at Josh Allen? Are they talking again? Did he leave Josh Allen hanging and not give him a high five? Is he pissed off in the huddle? Did he roll his eyes at Josh? Is Allen too worried that he's got to throw to him and don't doesn't want to throw to anybody else? Come on. It's just a bunch of nonsense. I'm hoping at the very latest, week one, the first touchdown pass, Allen to Diggs, and after that, we hear nothing about it again if they roll. But if they, if this offense goes downhill, this has potential to just derail their season and could be a nightmare. Speaking of their season, it, I'm, I'm very, uh, again, I, I, I think I'm very optimistic. I can't think of the word here. Super optimistic about their season. I just wish they would have invested more in the offense, in the receiver spot. And I still think they're getting Hopkins. I hope they're getting Hopkins. And I know they brought in they brought in receivers. They brought in Sherfield. They brought in uh I can't think of the other player, which is why I'm not impressed with what they brought in. They um but it's uh I felt like they, again, they didn't have much much cap room. They were a little cap-strapped. Cap but why just, why invest that in the offense? Why not, even when you went out and um, got uh, the defensive end that they got, why not uh you you bring in DeAndre Hardy you bring in um you bring in Sherfield you draft Justin Shorter I mean it's I don't know it's the uh it's going to be it's going to be tough I mean if Gabe Davis doesn't take a step forward they could be in trouble. They could be in trouble. I don't think Trent she- uh, Sherfield is, I hope, I hope he comes in and has a great season. Same thing with Deontay Hardy. I hope Justin Shorter is a is a huge pick on the draft. Um, I think uh, Dalton Kincaid is going to be a great job. I still think he's going to be their third wide receiver. He's going to be more of... Their Cole Beasley, obviously a much bigger Cole Beasley, but I think he's going to be their their sure-handed slot receiver as a tight end. I don't know. I just don't think they did enough on the offensive side of the ball. I know they they brought in the left guard, Connor McGovern, who I think is going to be a big addition to that left side of the line. Osiris, Osiris Torrance, another nice draft pick. Did they do enough 
to address that offensive line. Mitch Morris, is he going to be in and out of the lineup like he was a lot last season? Uh, Leonard Floyd. Right now they have him as the weak side linebacker. I know he can line up on the ball so he can go in um, as an edge rusher. Uh, If Miller is not back, he could also help out on that linebacking core. I have a feeling they're going to use him more on the edge to get pressure. He's a pressure player. The defensive side of the ball, though, I mean, bringing back uh, Jordan Poyer, you've got your safety tandem back with Poyer and Hyde because Hyde was hurt a lot last year. Tredavious White, hopefully he comes out of the bat swinging at that starting cornerback spot. It's going to be, you know, last year I felt towards the end of the season he was slowly, finally getting back to full speed, back to form. So hopefully another uh, couple months of of just rest, just exercise, just getting back in the swing of things, getting the full, full range of motion in that knee back and getting him up to speed. Hopefully he'll be ready to go. I think Taylor Rapp, as that uh, strong safety, he's not going to be fighting Jordan Poyer for a starting spot. But I could see them using him as either uh, a strong uh, uh, coming down as a third safety, almost like a middle linebacker, almost like an outside linebacker. So using him more as a person to take the place of or help take the place of Tremaine Edmonds, use him down as a strong or as a as a big safety. He's it's gonna be really interesting to see what they do with him and how they use him in that defense. Kind of surprised that he went there. He was I think he was ranked um by ESPN or by Pro Football. He was ranked uh one of the top ten or just outside the top ten in safeties. So he had a solid season. He's a young player. He's had a solid career. It's going to be interesting what they use him for. Um, but I think this is another, this is, I hope this is not shaping up for another season. Well, Buffalo's got a defense. Buffalo's got the defense. Kansas City's defense is only ranked uh, 17 or 18 or 19. Buffalo's defense is ranked 2 or 3 or 1 going into that game and they get lit up for 30 points. Even if they win the game, they get lit up for 30 points or they go into the Bengals game and Burrow lights them up for 25, 30 points, even if they win and asking a team to limit Kansas city, limit Cincinnati, limit the chargers, LA chargers, I think are going to be a big offense this year just to limit those big time offenses to under, even under 30 points is a lot, but even limiting them to under 20, it's going to be tough, but other teams have done it with lesser defenses. I just really hope this is not a team where their defense performs well all season and just underperforms in big games. Not to say that the Bills can't win those games, but even if you look at last year's Kansas City game, It was Buffalo, they needed one stop. They got one stop at the end. Other than that, they got lit up almost the entire game. Going way back to the 13 seconds, that game, Buffalo's defense, I think, was ranked number two or three, top three, top five defense. Kansas City's, as always, was ranked 18th, 19th. 
Defense did not matter in that game. Going into it, though, well, Buffalo's got the better defense. Buffalo's finally got the defense that can stop Kansas City. Buffalo's gonna. Buffalo's defense couldn't stop them for 13 friggin' seconds from scoring. I want them to get a second, a solid second wide receiver. I want them to have Cincinnati's wide receiving core. And I understand that it's going to be hard for Cincinnati in the very near future because you have T. Higgins, you have Jamar Chase, um, Tyler Boyd. I think his contract is up or coming up soon. So those guys are going to be looking for big-time money, especially Chase and Higgins. But, man, can you imagine a wide-receiving core like that with Josh Allen? And if you get uh, DeAndre Hopkins, I know he's older, but you could still have it for a season or two with Diggs and Hopkins as your one and two. I don't care who you put in at number three. That is a that instantly gets you to a top three, four receiving group in the NFL, maybe even the top. Although Cincinnati's would be hard to beat. But that gives weapons and that is a match-up nightmare for other teams. But instead, Buffalo's going to invest. I love Von Miller. Hopefully he can stay healthy, not only this season, but the rest of the time that he's here in Buffalo. Whether it's another two, three seasons. I hope he finishes his contract out. Not sure if he's going to. But did you have to make that huge investment? I would have loved to see them make last year, instead of doing that, swing for the fences and trade for or get a Tyreek Hill done and give Tyreek Hill Von Miller's money. Give somebody, swing, just swing for the fences. But it is what it is. Hopefully Davis can take a step forward, or hopefully last year was a bit of a fluke. You know, there's talk that he had an ankle injury early, and that slowed him down a bit, and now he's fine. Hopefully Shakir can step up right now. I think he's slated to be that third receiver. I don't think he's going to stay at that third receiver. I think um, somebody is going to beat him out. There's talk that Sherfield Hardy could beat him out. Justin Shorter Apparently had a great um, rookie minicamp and a great uh, OTAs and mandatory minicamp. So he's coming on. Who knows? They've got, I don't know why they invested as heavy as they did in running back, but I actually, I, I really like their running back crew. And no, they don't need Ezekiel Elliott. No, they don't need to trade for Barkley or whatever. No, they don't need the other cook in um you know in James's brother. No, they don't. You are fine with James Cook as your primary back with Damian Harris. Latavius Murray, I think, brings a nice veteran presence. He kind of reminds me, that signing reminds me almost like of the Frank Gore signing, what was it, six, seven years ago? However long ago he was, where he's not going to play much, but he brings supposedly brought a, uh, a winning attitude, a veteran presence to the locker room. 
And then you got Naeem Hines, who is, I think he's just your, your James Cook insurance policy, where if Cook goes down, you, if you want, make Hines your your punt returner, kick returner, although Deontay, uh, Deontay Hardy could do that. Um, but make him your 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 policy, your uh, insurance policy for James Cook. Very similar. I think James Cook is obviously more explosive, can hit the bigger home run plays. But if he does go down or if you do need um, him for a spell or two, you got Hines that can really go into that spot. Damian Harris, use him as your punishing back. Use him as your goal line. Use him as your third down, your third and short. He can be a bit of a bruising back for you. And that's it. You're you're fine. You don't need another running back. They've invested all of this money, all these draft picks, everything in this defensive line. It better come to fruition this season. I mean, you have Rousseau, Epinesa, Boogie Basham, Ed Oliver, all first and second round picks. Von Miller, big time money. Shake, uh, Shaq Lawson. Former first-round pick, Von Miller, first-round pick, Leonard Floyd spent big money on him. I know he's listed as their weak side linebacker, but he's going to be, uh, if he's not an off-the-ball linebacker, he's going to be on the line. They have put a ton of money into this offense or into this defensive line, both ends and tackle. It's something has got to come to fruition. How many times over the last two years, three years, oh, look at the pressure Buffalo's going to get. They're only going to rush four. They're only going to rush four, and they're going to get sacks, and they're going to get pressure on the quarterback. Pressure, pressure, pressure. It happened in the first half of the season last year with Miller. They were getting good pressure. Rousseau was getting good pressure and good numbers. Their first... Uh, seven or eight games of the season until Miller went down in the Detroit Lions game. After that, nothing. So I get it. You want Leonard Floyd as a bit of an ins- maybe a bit of an insurance policy with Miller, but they need to get pressure with that four that those starting four in the defensive line. But they need better schemes. Who knows? Maybe it. Maybe McDermott calling the plays or running everything. Maybe it's going to be a little bit smoother. Maybe Leslie Frazier at times was a little bit too conservative for this group. Who knows? But just get some pressure. Just make some plays. And this was my big bugaboo last year. And I know it happens to a lot of teams. But how many times? One game I counted up. I don't think it was the Kansas City game. I'll have to look back. Maybe it was uh, the Minnesota game. I forgot which game it was. But there were 13 times that the Bills gave up first downs on third and long. I considered third and long with being third and seven yards or more. Some of my friends in the chat uh, felt that third and ten was third and long. I said third and seven. But come on. 13 times in one game that you're giving up a first down on third and seven or more. 
And for the first couple in that game, it was third and 10, third and 11, third and nine, one, um, we, the fourth down one in the Minnesota one, which was what, fourth and 18, fourth and 15, whatever it was. It's just and it was simple defense. They're just backing off. I, I just didn't understand it. Some of those on third and eleven. Why are you not blitzing? Why are you not sending the house? Why are you even giving those receivers enough time to get down the field? You spend all this money on this defense, defensive coordinator or defensive head coach, defensive minded team, defense, defense, defense. Big times the last couple of years. The defense needed to stop. They didn't. Even in that 13 seconds game, defense needed a stop in overtime. Didn't even need to stop. Hold them to a damn field goal. Give your offense a chance to get out there. Couldn't even do that. Like, not even close to doing that. Did Kansas City even get to a third down in anything in overtime? Just make those stops. All right, that's my little Bills rant. Um... On the flip side, I've been very happy with what the Sabres have done this offseason so far. Uh, You've got the two defensemen that they picked up. I think I I would have liked to see them do something more than just Evan Levi in that. Not to say that he isn't going to be the next Ryan Miller, the next Dominic Kashuk, not to say that he's not capable of doing that, not to say that he didn't impress. He impressed. He was really a big reason, a huge reason, why the Sabres were in the playoff push until I think the second-to-last game of the season. He played extremely well those final seven games that he played, the only seven games or eight games, whatever it was, down that stretch. Gave them chances to win. I was banging the drum all season long, even if they got mediocre goaltending. Neither of their goaltender had below a 3-3-3-4. Even if they had mediocre goaltending, this team was in the playoffs. Can Levi go out next year and have a sub-3? Have a sub-2-7? Be in the low twos, 2-2-2-3? If he does... And if he plays 50-plus games, the Sabres are well into the playoffs. You're talking they might even be a division leader. But that's a big ask. That's a big if. There's a difference doing it from seven games and doing it over the course of a 50-55 game season. And even then, even if he plays 55 games, let's say 50 games, are you trusting UPL for 32 of them? Are you trusting him when he's never been a sub three goaltender? Even in Rochester, he didn't really dominate at any point when he was their starting goaltender down there. He was either hurt or he just was playing, eh, giving up three, four a night or more. Can he take that step? Are you going to hold three goaltenders again? Are you going to hold Eric Comrie? And are you going to do those number games where you're flip-flopping and sending a goaltender down and sending, bringing him back up because of cap issues, sending him here or there? Make, are you holding three goaltenders? Are you holding a roster spot for an extra goaltender? I hope not. 
I hope not. So if Levi does get the starting spot, wins the starting spot out of camp, is the number one goaltender that we all think he's capable of, A, can he do it for the course of a long season? Or is it going to be, I think that might be their only falter now that they've strengthened their blue line. That could be their only falter where we're looking at it next year as top two in scoring, top three in scoring. I think they finished three this past year. But a top team in scoring, ripping off three, four, five, six, seven goals a night. Averaging three and a half goals, four goals a game but miss the playoffs because they're giving up an average of three and a half, four goals, five goals. And if they don't score six goals a night, they're not going to win. So I think this team, the way they're constructed, I don't know why. And again, I'm not saying they have to go out. It'd be nice. It'd be a great dream if they went out and got, even if they traded for Connor Hellebuck for just one year, and use them as a one-year loaner, give up a first-round pick, give up a first- and second-round pick. Hell, I don't care about their draft picks anymore. Give up the next five first-round picks. If it's going to get you a goaltender like him, even for one year, you get a goaltender like Hellebuck, and this team is making a run at the cup. If Levi ends up playing like Hellebuck, you're talking this team is making a run at the cup. But... They need at least, at least a capable backup. They need a capable backup, and I don't know if they have a capable backup in Comrie. He was hurt. He wasn't hurt. He was sort of hurt. So who knows? But... I just, I don't, I don't know. I'm pretty sure UPL is not the guy. I'm kind of looking at the Sabres roster right now. My projection for an opening day lineup, even some line changes, or some lines rather, they've got a lot of options. I think with them signing Gergensen and Oposo, those guys are your classic fourth liners. They're gonna they're gonna put them back on that fourth line. Um, I don't see why they wouldn't. And then at that point, um, it's gonna be interesting what they do with that line at center. Do they bring up maybe a young kid? And put him in that spot? Do they... I don't know. Do you keep Middlestat down there? They brought back... They did bring back uh, Tyson Jost. Do you have him down there with Gergensen and Oposo? Do you bring in Matt Savoy? Do you bring him onto the team and let him start in a fourth line I don't know if if that's going to work or if it'd be better for him to just play a full season down in Rochester it's going to be interesting what they do but I think you're looking at 
you're looking at their defense and you've got to feel much happier about their defense. I think with Clifton and Johnson, I think that fills the holes that they had on that defensive side. I think you can keep a lineup now, whether you go Darlene and Samuelson, whether you go Darlene and Power, uh, whether you go Darlene and whoever, because he's going to make that defenseman that he's playing with fantastic. So even if you want to go with Darlene being the left uh, left shot defenseman, um, you want to put you can put Clifton on that side as a right shot defenseman. You can also put Johnson on that right side. So even if you do a top pairing of Darlene and Johnson, you're looking at. Uh, You can keep Power and Samuelson together. I know they're both left-shot defensemen, but keep them both together. And then on that third line, Clifton and Yoki Haru, Clifton and Labushkin. Um, I don't think it's going to be Stillman. I mean, you've got a lot. You've got some quality, quality, quality options to go with. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's going to be crazy. I mean, you're looking at, I think they're going to have a solid top four, whether it's Johnson and Darlene and then Power and Samuelson, or you flip those four around. Or again, if you want, do you want to even just You've got three great left-shot defensemen. Do you really want to make it tough on a team, and do you want to go Darlene, you're on line one, Power, you're on line two, Samuelson, you're on line three on the left side, and those are your three left-side defensemen, and then fill in the rest. That way you're spreading out the strength. You still can make your top pair with Johnson very strong with Darlene and Johnson. And then as far as your other right shot defenseman in lines one, two, do you want to put maybe Clifton on line two or Clifton on line three? Yoki Haru, Labushkin. I mean, you can spread the wealth out on your defense. You've got some options now just by adding those two players. We talked about in goal, Comrie, Levi, uh, UPL. I, um, hmm. It's all going to depend on Devin Levi. If he hits, he hits. If he hits, like there's talk that he could hit. If he plays, you stretch out those seven games. If he plays that same way or better and stretch it out over 50, 55 games a season, that is fantastic. Even if it's 55, you're going to need Comrie or UPL or a combination of them to still play tough for 27 games. That's asking a lot. Can that backup out of those say if they play, say if you get your backup to play 30 games, <coughs> excuse me, say if you get your backup to play 30 games, which leaves your starter at Levi at 52, is, can your backup, can your backup go 15 wins, 15 and 15? Can your backup get you a, a can your backup get you slightly above five hundred? Maybe adding a through a few ties in there. Can he can he get you 
to 14 wins, 14 losses, two ties? Can he get can he get you something? Can he get you some points? Out of a possible 60 points, can he get you 35? If he gets you 40, you're in great shape. 40 out of a possible 60 points from your backup, you're in great shape. I think that might be asking a little too much. But can he get you can he get you 30? Can he go 500? 30 out of 60 points? Can he get you 35? Even 35, I think we're in pretty good shape if Levi plays the way he's capable of playing. If he doesn't, we're in trouble. And a young goaltender is going to struggle. Typically, I shouldn't say is, but typically does struggle early on in his career. It typically takes, typically a young goaltender isn't playing at at Levi's age. I mean, you're talking the kid is 22, 21 turning 22 years old. You know, that's one uh, position where it typically takes, it can take a goaltender to really mature where they're often not maturing until 25, 26, 27. Sometimes you even see a goaltender at 30 come out of nowhere and have a breakout season and hit the big time. Sometimes they never do. But Ken Levi at 22 years old, can he have a breakout season? I think with your forwards, I mean, their forwards were not the problem last year. Their forwards, you you finished, I think, third overall in scoring. They did not miss the playoffs because of their forwards. They were outstanding. I mean, you still have Cousins. Just through the center alone, you still have Cousins. You still have Tage Thompson. You still have Alex Tuck. Three centers right there. Paterka is going to be outstanding. Ocposo, uh, Gergensen can play center, but he's still going to be on that wing. Same thing with Ocposo. He'll probably be on that wing. Um, I know Jack Quinn bummed that he went down, but right now looking that there's still a chance that he might be back before he'll be back before the end of the season season but a chance that he could be back before the end of the year before the end of 2023 so maybe that december time maybe january even if you hold if the team's running well let him rest a little longer bring him back january february for that final push so a little disappointed there but again they're great down the middle Krabs Middlestat. Middlestat's an interesting one. Do you trade Middlestat? Do you package him for a big, big, big time defenseman? Where then you're looking at where you can put have a true top pair, top two pairs with Darlene and fill in the blank defenseman with Power and Samuelson as your number two line. And then you can even go uh, Clifton and Johnson as your number three. So do you package a deal with Middlestat for that big-name defenseman? 
If not, I mean, his value's never been any higher. He had a great season. If not, I'm totally fine with him staying at the wing. Paterka, I think, is going to take a step up. Skinner, I'm so glad that he is finally back. And they did not bury him on the fourth line like some idiot coach. That was the dumbest. That was just the dumbest. And his reasoning, oh, he's got to play defense. He's got to play defense. He's not a defensive playing defensive-minded forward. It's just, that's like asking uh, Gretzky back in the day to go play. Well, we need you to, uh, we need you to just go out there and be an energy line and start checking people all over the place. Come on. And I'm not, no, I'm not comparing Skinner to Gretzky. So settle down. But there was no reason that Jeff Skinner needed to be down in the fourth line for a half a season or the full season or whatever. He's in Kruger's doghouse. Put him on the damn fourth line or first line, second line. He's a goal scorer. He's been a perennial 30, 40 goal scorer his entire career. That year, I think he got 14, 15. Because you're giving him dog crap minutes on a fourth line and you buried him with Oposo and Gergensen. I think at one point he was playing with nothing bad with those players. But Skinner's too talented to play with those type of players. Olofsson, whatever. If he stays, he stays. If he goes, he goes. Trade, whatever. Maybe you package him with Middlestat. Really don't care. I mean, I don't think it's you need a you need a power play specialist. Again, this team can score without him. I think they're they're loaded. At the forwards. I'm hoping Jordan Greenway comes in and makes a little bit more of an impact this year than what he did last year. And it's possible. Um, He did start coming on a little bit towards the end of the season, but whatever. It's possible. That'd be a nice addition. I could definitely see that being a tough fourth line with Greenway, Oposo, um, and Gergensen. So I could see that being your energy line, that being your hitting line, almost like a checking line, checking line, true checking line with talent. Again, I'm not saying this team is going to run roughshod. I'm not saying this team is going, uh, they're in the midst of a dynasty and they're going to be cup champions for back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back years or win two in a row or three in a row or even win next year. Not saying that. But last year, damn it, hockey was fun again. It was fun to watch, and it was fun to watch for the majority of the season. Did they have some ups and downs? Absolutely. They had a lot of ups. They had some downs. I think it was, what, the nine-game losing streak, ten-game losing streak, which really um, put them in a big hole. They had a seven- or eight-game winning streak, six, seven-game winning streaks. They had a couple—I mean, they were— They were fun. They were a team that was finding their way. And I think next year, again, I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to predict that the Sabres, let's see. uh, Where do do I want to realistically, where do I want to put this team? 
in the playoffs for sure. But I, I'm I'm almost debating on. Do I want to put them in the top three? Do I want to put them in the top three? Can they get ahead of either in the Atlantic of the Bruins, the Maple Leafs, or the Lightning Panthers who finished ahead of them? You know what? I'm I'm going to do it. I'm going to say they finish. I'm going to say they finish second in the Atlantic. Not even just third. I'm going to say they finish second in the Atlantic. And I know they were seven points off the Lightning. They were ten points off the Maple Leafs. I think the Lightning are going to take a step back. Not a huge one. I still anticipate the Lightning possibly making the playoffs. Probably making the playoffs. I'm going to say the top three in the Atlantic next year. Do I want to say this? I'm going to say the Leafs, the Sabres, and the Bruins. Top three in the Atlantic. I think the Lightning will get a... uh, I think the Lightning will get that first wild card spot. I still think they're good enough to get in there. And you know what? I'm going to say the Capitals. Do I want to say the Capitals rebound? I almost want to go out on a limb and say that the Reds or the Redskins, the Red Wings go into that final spot in that eighth spot. And they were pushing for a while. Then they kind of really fell off. In the Metropolitan, I still have, I don't know if any particular order, but the Hurricanes, Devils, and Rangers, I think, are playoff locks. The Islanders fall off. The Penguins fall off. I don't know if the Capitals can rebound. Actually, you know what? I'm going to say the Penguins. I'm going to I'm going to say the Penguins get in. They missed it. They they tied the Sabers with 91. So, I'll say the Penguins and the Lightning get the two playoff spots. I'll be I'll I'll hedge my bets here. Nah, screw it. I won't hedge my bets. Atlantic Division, your top 3 are the Lightning, the Sabers, the Bruins, 1 2 3 in the Atlantic in the Metropolitan Ten, um, I'm gonna say the Devils win the division this year. So it's the Devils, the Hurricanes, and the Rangers. So basically, the Devils flip flop with the Hurricanes, and then the final two wild card spots are the Penguins and the Lightning. And I'll say that the I'll say that the Penguins. No, I'll say that the Lightning. Lightning seven. Penguins 8. Let's go. Mark it down. July 11th at 3.50 p.m. Mark it down. We'll We'll see how well my predictions hold up. My way too early for the hockey predictions. All right. We're going to wrap things up today with our hot seat 
questions. We're going to go with just one. We're going to go with just one hot seat question today. I'm by myself. I can change the rules. Whatever. Just one hot seat question. And I was thinking of this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I know uh, next week uh, we've got Daniel Reinhardt and the Morris brothers scheduled to come on next week with us and talk a little bit about track, a little bit about getting ready to go to college and run at the next level, uh, their performance at the state meet. So we're looking at to get that locked up. Hopefully we can talk to them next week. And I want to bring this up with them a little bit too. If, how would you feel about playing against or coaching against a former team, especially if you've been with them, I don't know, 12 years. Let's just throw that number out there. So the, if you got a chance to play or coach against a team for tw- the, against your team that you've coached or played with for, again, we'll just throw the number 12 out there, 12 years, how would you feel about it? How's that first game going to feel about it? For me, it's going to be – again, we'll talk about this a little bit more next week. It would be uh, – it would be challenging. It would be, I'm sure, early on in the game uh, would be a little bit – maybe some awkwardness, but you'd like to think it's going to be all business. You'd like to think it's going to be – but there'd probably be some emotions in there, uh, especially whether it's on the high school level where you've had some of those kids for six, seven year or six, seven, five, six years. Uh, some of those co- kids you've coached since seventh grade who are now seniors. It's going to be, it would be interesting. Uh, playing against a former team. The only time I could think of that I've played against a former team, I guess the closest I have is uh, one year during a travel team, I jumped from, uh, I made the jump from, was it from Luport? I think I was playing on, on Fort Niagara's travel team one year, Luport's travel team, whatever you want to call it, and I jumped to Niagara Pale where I ended up finishing, but it was early on. It was maybe, I don't know, I think 10, 11, 12, something like that, and I, I finished with Niagara Pale the rest of the way for travel. Um, but even then playing against, um, with actually, we'll, we'll talk this way. Most of the guys that I played with on the travel team through Niagara Pale, a lot of them were LaSalle high school soccer players. I'd say probably out of our roster of 18, I'd say probably a good 11 or 12 of them were LaSalle players. The rest were probably Niagara Wheatfield players, uh, with an occasional Lupar player in there. I was the only player from Niagara Falls on my team, my travel team. So it was interesting going up against LaSalle where you've played soccer with those guys all summer. You've played with some of them for five, six years at that point, especially going into your season, your senior season. I always had fun with it when it came to those games. I got extra hyped up for them, even though we lost every goddamn game in high school. But I had fun with it. I enjoyed it. I got a kick out of playing my old my, some of my teammates. I thought it was really fun. The only time on a coaching level that I ever got to coach against an old team, it wasn't an old team that I coached. I, I've coached against my alma mater at Niagara Falls um, a few times, uh, whether I was doing 
modified soccer for the boys or JV or varsity soccer for the girls at Kenmore. Uh, I've had quite a few games against Niagara Falls. And even though it's, it's for most of them, I'd say a ton of them, all, almost all of them, it was, you know, you're not going against the guys team. You're playing, you know, coaching girls sports or you're coaching against the girls team. It was still just coaching against your alma mater. It was it was always fun. There were a few times um, that I've seen some of my friends who had kids on the team or who were just there watching from Niagara Falls. So it was always fun to see them afterwards. Uh, coached a number of games against uh, Rich Morano. Um, we've talked about this on our podcast. That was always fun. Those were special games. But I think it was a little different because I didn't really have that nostalgic moment. I did remember the first game, the first JV game coaching against the JV girls for Niagara Falls. It was it was interesting, but it was also a little, it wasn't quite as special because it's the new Niagara Falls High School. I didn't go attend any years in that building. I was back in the old Niagara Falls High School. I was back on the old field behind the uh, library near Abbott School. It was, that field was, ooh. so I never really got to go back to my old field, my old stomping grounds, um, but it was still, it was still, I wouldn't call it emotional, it was still fun. It was still fun, but playing against a team that you've coached for, again, I don't know, 12 years and getting the coach against them, if I ever got that chance, it would definitely be interesting, but we'll talk about that a little bit more next week, and who knows? Maybe there'll be an exciting announcement about that next week. You never know. You never know. But we're going to end things here right now. Um, again, next week, looks like right now we're going to have the Morris Brothers, Henry and Sydney, with uh, Daniel Reinhardt. We'll have them hopefully on the shows. We'll talk a little bit about their state meet performances at the track and field meet this year, state meet this year, and what their future holds for them for track and field. And make sure you guys tune in next week. Make sure you guys check out our YouTube page. Make sure you check out our Facebook page um, and our Instagram. Make sure, as always, you tune in next week for another exciting episode of Stories from the Sidelines. Go Bills!